there's been a lot of uh, words. from uh, Tanissa and myself. And I hope that uh, the words do dissolve enough to continue to empower each of us to embody that that quality of uh, being in this moment, being awake. From our discussions and from the small groups, I find a a sense of uh, enjoyment and appreciation to to just feel, feel all the effort that's being made by everyone to, to be with this experience being a human being, being sensitive, suffering. Appreciating the the nobility of of that, uh, when one recognizes that in each other, the nobility of bringing forth that uh, sense that transformation is possible. That's something beautiful. And yet it's also very poignant, too, because along with the the notion, the idea that there is, we can grow in peace, we can grow in compassion, we can grow in joy, we can grow in wisdom. Along with that is the poignancy and the frustration of... uh, of uh, feeling like we're growing in confusion (coughs) or feeling like we're just, as one dear friend puts it, just eyeball to eyeball with our karma. (laughs) Pinned on the front of a train. You don't seem to be slowing down. (laughs) (laughs) And it's painful. (laughs) My, my, (laughs) some of the, I don't have anything against homeopaths because I've been through every doctor in the world and, and at least their medicine in general was was pretty gentle. But I remember I'd be taking some medicine and feeling worse, more pain. Oh, that's good, that's good. <laughs> Toxins are coming out. 
Next time, I'm feeling terrible. Excellent! <laughs> you know, sometimes I think when I'm encouraging someone, you're doing fine, and you're going to see. And yet this transformation is a painful process, but a, a, a significant one of dying. The, the, the freedom comes out of dying. Learning how to die. Practicing dying. Surrendering into dying. So that layers and layers and layers and layers of what we thought we are, what we thought we were, what we were convinced we were, what is screaming at us that we are, with the support, with the strength of our container, of our commitment, of our trust, of our good friends, of our samadhi, little by little, we get the capacity to be with. These aspects of our being that are suffering, that are me. If we can have the compassion, not the, not the cruelty, not the cold-heartedness, but the compassion the open-eyed, clear capacity to be with, then, 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 then we'll, we'll feel ourselves getting to this edge, and then we'll see that that too shifts, dies. Allowing to die, what's sometimes called letting go. Actually, our, our great master, Ajahn Chah, says it's basically letting go. So if you let go a little, you get a little peace. You let go a lot, you get a lot of peace. You let go completely. You realize complete peace. And this is this is a profound contemplation. And then we might think, what you been holding out on this for? I've been chasing my breath for five days now. Now you tell me, let go. You some kind of sadist? (laughs) It's hard to let go if we don't even know where we're holding. And as an ideal, we can just kind of take that ideal. Let go. 
Yeah, it might just be something in the mind, something kind of that's not really based on really being in touch. Sometimes what we have to let go is pushing away. We don't even realize that we're kind of pushing things away. We we don't even know that we're holding on to the energy of pushing away. The human the human capacity the human instrument, the conscious instrument, has the capacity to touch and hold. It also has the capacity to let go. This is all unconscious until we really investigate it, bring it into into the our conscious experience. In these, in these early days of, of this retreat, yes, we have been just familiarizing ourselves again with, with this, this miracle of volition, the capacity to direct attention and then stay with, that's called holding. If we don't have any of that basic mindfulness, the capacity to put our mind somewhere, we're, we're called crazy. We don't have that. If halfway through, we're talking to someone, and then halfway through the sentence, we're kind of we're looking at the curtain, and we forget that we're doing that, and then we're eating something, and halfway with the spoon up, we kind of forget that. <laughs> All of us have this capacity to, to hold to some degree. When it becomes habitual, when it becomes unconscious, then then we're just uh, that that holding is just being directed by sankara, by, by old conditioned habits and tendencies. There's a tendency to hold, not only to hold but to hold tightly, to hold along with the sense of mind. Usually, when there's some kind of that which is pleasing, that which we want, and then oftentimes we can be uh, conditioned to if something gets difficult, something gets uncomfortable to to push, push away and seek something else. In its extreme, consciousness can be so unable to deal with the uncomfortable that it, it, it is just bouncing everywhere. You can get an attention deficit kind of situation, syndrome, which probably in some cases has some medical underpinnings. But uh, we work in a school, and we used to work in a school in the southern part of America. And the headmaster feels that uh, it's being vastly over-diagnosed, and lots of drugs are given to uh, slow down these kids, some of whom may really need it, but some of whom just have gotten used to the mind just never staying anywhere, bouncing all over the place, being shouted at to be attentive, but not having any tools. We've been actually developing the capacity to stay with something and then feeling the old sankara that says, oh, this isn't that interesting, or feeling uncomfortable, but learning to relax with, stay with. And just taking this basic capacity of being able to hold attention somewhere and investigating that.
developing that muscle, learning how to hold gently, learning how to hold tightly, learning how to turn away from some things, learning how to relax into a holding, for example, of the body breath, the breath body, learning how to be still, learning how to smooth. And then through holding something, then, then having this bizarre recognition that the quality of consciousness becomes brighter. That thingness, we think we're with the body, to the world it looks like a thing. But actually, if one learns to hold, stay with body, stay with body, stay with body, stay with what seems to be a thing, what gets highlighted is the mind becomes bright, clear. So what looked like just a thing, we realize, is, is held within mind, held within the brightness of mind. But even those states, those, those states of calm, are, are impermanent, depending on how we feel, how much we've eaten. And some of us have been on the front of that train, and haven't felt a lot of calm, or haven't felt any calm. And then think, oh gosh, is this path for me? Got any other paths out there? But then we've reflected, we've reflected that the any capacity we have of being steady, then when that is turned to look at these things that the mind can hold, even if we don't feel like we have calm, we have enough attention. Ajahn Chah said, you need enough samadhi to be able to read a book. Can most people here read a book? Have enough samadhi to be able to keep the attention on the line. Most of us have that much. That even with that much, we can still be enlightened. With the extra samadhi, it's easier to penetrate subtle conditions. With the extra samadhi, it's easier to feel a sense of peace. But even if we don't have much samadhi, even if we, if we feel kind of rocketed around, what we can do is, is we can say, is there suffering here? <laughs> or as Ajahn Chah would say, he said, Benyang! He's a real guttural kind of big belly. He's a, in, in Thai it means, what's, what's going on? <laughs> Young! Like that. And then he'd say, you know, think, Tukmai? Is there suffering? And he would look at you. And then you could say yes. And why? Because I don't want to feel like this. Nah! <laughs> How much samadhi do you need to be able to say, I don't want to feel like this? What's that? I don't want to feel like this. What is that? Can we, can we even, I don't want to feel like this. And actually, we don't think we have samadhi, but we've actually got the I don't want to feel like this samadhi. (laughs) 
it's not yet blossomed into samasamadhi, balance samadhi, but there definitely is is uh, absorption there. <laughs> I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to feel like this. It shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this. This is day five, or this is year 40, or this is millionth lifetime, or this is two years to the millennium, man. I mean, I don't got much time before things get heavy. Shouldn't be like that. Now, if we can see that, if we can see the stress that comes from that, or as Ajahn Chah would say, Danyang. Look at that and then say, ah, and we can let it be. Doesn't mean to say we have to crush the it shouldn't be that way, but it's the, the relationship with the, when we're in the it shouldn't be that way samadhi, we're glued to it and that's me, then we're all caught up in that kind of struggle. When there's letting it go, letting it go its own way, it is what it is. It's a thought, it's a habit. There it is. And in that moment, we can solve the problem. We can let that be. And we find ourselves on the path. We find ourselves at a peaceful center with all the stuff that's still happening. Maybe the mind is still rocketing around. But when we're not doing, it shouldn't be this way. It's peaceful. We have different temperaments. We don't have... We're all not... And we're all different in-betweens, and our so-called temperament changes in the course of a week or a, or a month or a year or a lifetime. And some of us are going through the phase of being stuck on the front of the train or, or being drugged off the back of the train. And there doesn't seem to be any samadhi. But there still is the path. The Buddha would call it panyavimuti, freedom through reflection. There still has to be some samadhi, and this work has not been wasted. Every single person, even those who are sure they don't have samadhi, if they could see themselves sitting quite composed, they should see people that don't have samadhi. People that don't have samadhi are bouncing off the walls. Even the people here who don't think they have samadhi are developing, developing all kinds of capacity to be with, to be steady with. But because... Of this developing the ability to be present, one is noticing more and more and more the agitation that there is, the pain of that. It's being more noticed. It's in a way like if you're sweeping, sweeping the floor, you think, oh my God, this dirt pile's getting bigger. <laughs> filthy. It's filthy. You know, we got to look over our shoulder every once in a while and see what we've swept. <laughs> Some of our agitation is just becoming more conscious. And even with what, what samadhi that we do have, we can say, Tukmai? Is there suffering? Never forget Ajahn Chah. You could just be dying. You know, really feeling sorry for yourself. He just look at you in those eyes and go, Hen took my? Took is dukkha. Hen, do you see? Can you see suffering? 
And can you see the suffering? And can you see what generates the suffering? Wanting it to be different? And can you actually let it be? Let go of having to get rid of, having to grasp. But by having some sense of, of where there's a struggle, having some sense of where there's holding, then letting go becomes a conscious practice, a real practice. This dying is, is, is then incredibly sublime. It's the third noble truth. When we really let go, when we have moments of letting go, not getting rid of, it's not letting go. When you're getting rid of, you're still bound. What we're, what we're wanting to get rid of, we're glued to. You stay there. Look at that. Got my energy body out, pinning it to the edges of my consciousness. That's not letting go. And you stay over there. <laughs> and you stay over there. <laughs> and then we just think, Kitty Saul. There's no peace. I just don't understand it. <laughs> My mind is empty, but I'm I'm feeling stress. <laughs> so letting know goes not getting rid of. Letting go is letting go of the demand, letting go of the grasping, letting go of the rejection, letting go of doing anything about anything. That's why the breath work is so useful in learning on that out-breath to just let be. And that's another important part of our meditation, to learn to use the human capacity to hold, because when we hold, there's steadiness, but also, guess what, it reflects the the hmm, the forms of life. When we hold attention and there's the form of a person. We hold attention and there's the form of the sound of the bird. We hold attention and there's the form of a thought. We hold attention and there's the form of a memory. To be fully human, it's also important to know how to let be, how to relinquish. Chronic holding, I love this, I don't know who said it, but somebody else said it. Chronic holding is called paralysis. Chronic letting go is called paralysis. It's, it's, it's flexibility is learning how to hold, letting, learning how to let go. So we also should be there, can practice. This, this, we can practice dying. What we look at when we see a form of a thought, a feeling, a form, whatever it is, notice that we see it changing when we're conscious. We hold the feeling of the day and we actually are allowing it. Trusting that that's not an evil thing, not a bad thing, watching the day die. We can focus on day, it seems like a thing, but wherever there's a thing, if we stay with it, it's shifting and dying and changing. The day is dying. Can we be at peace with the dying of the day?
the sound of the birds, the holding, can steady ourselves on listening. We can allow each sound to touch, it's born, and then to dissolve back into silence and die. Each in-breath, watching it appear, then watching that, that form dissolve. It's gone. The out-breath manifests. That form is born, and then it dissolves. It dies. Practice being at ease with dying. And notice that one is, when one is allowing things to die, when one is with the dying, what allows the dying to just be there? What allows us to be at ease with the dying? It's not interfering. It's being, being with. As we said the, the other night, the suffering comes from not having held the world closely enough and realizing that it's shimmering, being born and dying all the time, not fully knowing that in every aspect, in every aspect of form, whether it's a flower, a candle, a building, a house, a loved one, our own body, our energy, is shifting and changing whether it's in the aspect of form, whether it's in the aspect of feeling, whether it's the wonderful feeling of a beautiful, calm evening. Ah, exquisite. Rather than so quickly, where's the video, Mary? Quick! (laughs) We don't have a video, but where's... Quick, get it! Damn it! But to actually, can we watch that (laughs) die? The beauty, part of the beauty of beauty is its transiency. What is, what is the, ah, yeah, Blake's, Blake's beautiful, um, poem on eternity. I haven't thought of it for a while, so I hope I remember it, but something like, he who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. The more we try to capture it, somehow it's like putting a needle through a beautiful butterfly. He who binds himself a joy does the winged, winged life destroy, but he who kisses the joy as it flies. I love that because it's still touching Letting go doesn't mean, don't touch. It doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're sort of behind a glass wall with our hands tied behind our back. I love that, that poem. That he kisses the joy as it flies. We're still in contact with life, but there's something, there's something that's, that's respectful. He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity, sunrise. 
He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity, sunrise. In the letting be, in the letting, we discover something else, something timeless, something spacious. The joy, all those things that we can focus on, what we call in the chanting, the five focuses of the grasping mind, whether it's form or feeling or more subtle things like perception, thoughts, moments of noticing, all those things that we can focus on are conditioned. They're they're changing. They come into being, and by coming into being, they come out of being. There's no condition that doesn't do that. All that arises ceases. It's it's the law. This retreat came together. It's now a bit over halfway. And it will disperse. Even this building came together. And then in time, this, 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 this building won't be here anymore. Even this earth is shifting and changing, but still seems to be pretty solid. But there will be a time when even this earth won't be recognizable anymore. So one thing that really helps us contemplate is, is sometimes not just immediately in, within the meditation, but also just conceptually we can just reflect, practicing, learning to honor this transient nature. We can reflect as we did in the monastery every day. All that is mine all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. It might seem morbid, but it's not. It's dispassion. It's true. That can help us honor what time we do have with the forms of this life. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. kind of reflecting on that. And more subtly, when we learn to let sounds die, feelings die, and most significantly, thoughts, most powerfully, most important, because what binds us, what perpetuates this blind grasping are views, thought feelings that that tell us, this is me, this is me, this is mine. And to get perspective on those, that they need to be patiently noticed. We need to learn just as we practice sitting, as we practice walking, we should practice thinking. Can we, can we notice a thought die? Notice the moment before a thought. And just allow a thought in our meditation to come up, I'm suffering. Or even before that, take even a more neutral thought. My name is Kitty Sorrow. Whatever our name is. My name is Kitty Sorrow. Can we watch that thought die? And in that space, right after the thought, The thought's gone. 
yet they're still present. Who are we in that silent presence? We're so preoccupied with forms, so riveted on forms, on thoughts. We haven't noticed this ocean of space around thoughts, this ocean of awareness around form, that where everything merges. Actually, the Buddha taught us that this mind is already luminous. Our nature is luminous. Pabhasrajitta, he called it. It already is, not a question of kind of pumping it up. Our deepest nature is already luminous. But through being confused by what moves through the mind, the forms that move through the mind, through grasping and rejecting, we don't see the luminous quality of our nature. Yet all these things that move through the mind, that make us think that that the world is all split up, that make us think that I'm this and you're that, Actually, all these things merge, according to the Buddha, and we can check this out. All these things merge in that which never dies. How can that be? All these things merge in that which never dies. Well, then we should watch something die and see where it takes us. Where does each thought that dies take us back to? Where does each sound that die take us back to? Even when we're with something like the breath, when we're really with it truly, where does it take us? It takes us to the heart. It takes us to awareness. It takes us to brightness. Every single condition emerges and dissolves back into this only place that there is, what's called a radiant heart, that which is, the undying. Actually, the Buddha taught that all these conditions that we're grasping at, all these conditioned things, thoughts, feelings, are actually like dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows, like dewdrops in a lightning flash, he said. Contemplate them thus. One of the famous utterances of the Buddha. All these conditioned dhammas, all these conditioned things, like the body, feelings, thoughts, circumstances, they're really just like dreams, like dreams. Like a bubble, it seems there, and then, where did it go? Where did all those experiences, David, seem so real? Where did they go now? If we can get a true sense of the shimmering, shifting, impermanent nature of things, then it's not a question of letting go so much. We realize we can't. How can you grasp it? Try grasping a waterfall. I tried. We're not close to one. Awesome. The beauty of the change. When we're in samadhi, then we recognize that changing nature. When you go up to a waterfall, you can't take it away. You can kiss it. Appreciate it. It's not so much letting go. It's just recognizing the change and then realizing 
It's not mine. It's, it's part of nature. So in a sense, we give back what isn't ours. That's what anatta means. It means, I can't own this. And there's a, there's a release. It's not a convincing ourselves there isn't anybody. There's a release. Noticing the space after thoughts. We have the chance to get a feeling what looked like a nothing. In my classrooms, what seemed to be terror. I grew up in a place where you, you, you couldn't have silences. The schools I was at. Got to think up another question. Radios actually cut out the silence. There's even some tape recorders that automatically turn off if there's a moment of silence. Because it's, it's just space, wasted space. In meditation, this is, a, uh, this is a magical entrance. A magical entrance, uh, uh, a place that's looked like a nothing that takes one into an everything. Because without that space of the silence, the space of awareness, conditions can't manifest and dissolve. The waves on the sea might, from one perspective, look different. You might call that a big, ferocious tidal wave coming at so many miles an hour. You might call that a little gentle wave over there. You might call that one a big surfing wave over there. You might call that one a kind of nondescript wave over there. In a wave, might even, I suppose, forget that it's part of the great ocean. It might even imagine, get out of my way. It might imagine that, but it's an, it's an imagining. Because all those different waves that you can see on the surface a certain shape to, they merge in the depths. They become one. You can't separate the waves out in depth. Your body, my body, this form, that form, are shimmering in consciousness, but they merge in our awareness. They merge. Every thought merges in awareness. So can we learn to let go? And we think, oh, who will I be? We practice dying, and then parts of ourselves get scared. I can't take this. I can't take this. Can we just allow, compassionately allow that to be seen? Allow that to come. Compassionately allow that to go. Allow ourselves to rest in the, in the ground of our being, in the depth of our being. Allow ourselves to rest in that. It's like a bed. It's my own analogy. But some of us who are not feeling very well or feel, oh gosh, I've got a sickness and I don't have much energy. and That can be a blessing. Sometimes willfulness. You've got too much drink, it can be a curse. Because one's so into marshalling this attention all over the place that uh, we actually forget that the will is also impermanent. and It's not always there. And that actually when we're ill and it gets more more weak, actually that's a blessing. It's a heavenly messenger to show us that we don't own the will either. And I had a wonderful image of this when I used to be a wrestler and I had my shoulder knocked out. 
had to have an operation and some screws put into my shoulder. And uh, I remember when I was in the hospital, and I'd had the operation, and they had this kind of thing to hold above the bed, and I wanted to lie down on the bed because I was tired, but it seemed so far, and gosh, if I let go of that thing and I fall, it's going to be a long way, and it's going to hurt, and gosh, will I ever, what will happen, and oh gosh, I don't know if I can let go, I don't know if I can let go, but I finally did, and it was a, was a little afraid, but then I got caught by the bed, and I could relinquish trying, and then the bed supported me. I could rest. We're trying to hold, thinking who we are, thinking what we're going to do, thinking you should be, you shouldn't be. If we can trust enough to let be. Because we're alive, things will still be shimmering, we'll still be feeling. But if we can relax and let be, we might feel at first that we're falling, but then we get caught. We get caught in suchness. We get caught by the ground of our being. We can rest in that which is, that which doesn't die, that which is peaceful. And whether our body's well or whether it's sick or whether our mind is concentrated or whether it's scattered, all these so-called different conditions merge in the same beautiful brightness. So the taste that everyone tastes when they do that, the Buddha said, it's the same taste. It's the taste of peace. You taste the salt here of the sea. You taste the sea there. It's the same taste. Salty. The Buddha taught us that whenever we let go, we all experience that same taste. Our heart is luminous. Can we trust enough? Can we practice dying enough to get the feeling for in the midst of conditions just as they are, knowing this is how it is. You feel that quality of beauty, which is. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.